Yeah, so for those of you who don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm a member of the congregation here, and I'm very pleased uh, to be going through with you in this next installment in Hebrews. Uh, so, uh, Anne last week uh, talked about the first part of chapter two in Hebrews, that all we see around us is not yet as it should be. Uh, and we know that really clearly from all the, the things we're hearing about daily about the COP climate conference, um, and everything that we see in the, the world. Um, but the very first verse of chapter two, I think is very pertinent for us today. It says, we must pay more careful attention to what we've heard. So Hebrews is no easy book to read. It's complicated, it's full of all kinds of different things. It's written to the Jewish church. Um, so there's lots of things that we need to know to understand it well. So I hope we can all pay really careful attention this morning. So pin your ears back, get ready for an amazing passage. Um, so this message is about salvation. Chapter two is all about salvation. And having introduced it last week, uh, we're now going to go deeper into that salvation and find out how it was accomplished, and why it had to be done the way it did. So if you've got a Bible with you, please open it with me. We're in Hebrews chapter two, starting at verse 10, or it's on the screens as well. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men and women holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be make li made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so um, if you haven't heard the first parts of this series on Hebrews, or indeed if you haven't heard much or anything about Jesus before, this is gonna take some understanding. So I thought the first thing that we should do is to introduce us all to Jesus. Now, if you're uh, at work or at a party or anything, how do you introduce yourself 
to someone else. I'm sure everybody has a one-sentence description of themselves that uh, you trot out almost automatically when somebody says, who are you, or uh, something of that kind. Now, there is a one-sentence description of Jesus right at the beginning of Hebrews, which is simply fantastic. It's in chapter one, verse three, and it says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What an introduction. I'm sure no one else has got quite an introduction like that. So that's necessary because we come into this passage that I've just read kind of halfway through. Uh, And Jesus' name is only mentioned once right in the middle. Uh, but it refers to him in many different ways, it's important to know that the focus of this passage is all about Jesus. It's Jesus all the way through. And so what the author of this book is trying to do is to introduce Jesus as the author of our salvation to the Jewish church and make sure that they have that really solid understanding of how Jesus did that and why he did that. So, uh, I'm now going to uh, go back into that passage and having introduced ourselves to Jesus as the Son of God, as the radiance of God's being, we now can read it again and be more amazed by it. So in verses 11, 14, and 17, some really quite amazing things are said. So in in verse 11, um, we are called of the same family as Jesus. In verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And in verse 17, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. So Jesus, who is God, who is God's son, who is the radiance of God's being in every way, becomes like us in every way. That's astounding. That means that he got hungry, he got tired, he had emotions, he got angry, he was in doubt, he was in temptation, he suffered. He went through all of those things because he was made human. So we see that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And that is something quite astounding. I think the more you get to know who God is, the more astounding that gets. I hope by the time that I'm at the end of my years, I'm even more astounded by that then than I am now. Imagine uh, a potter, somebody who makes pottery and deals with clay, wanting to be a pot. So somebody who creates something wants to somehow transform that pot into something more and greater and knows that they have to become that pot in order to do it. It sounds crazy. How would you even do that? But that is something like what Jesus did for us. He wanted to make us more than we are and to do that he had to become like us. So the the first question that comes out of that is why? Why did it have to be like that 
in order for us to be saved. So let's go back to verse 10 where I started. So do if you've got a Bible open in front of you, that would be great to look back to it. So verse 10 says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. It's quite the complicated sentence, so I'm gonna take it apart bit by bit and show that this is a really clear and full description of the gospel, of this amazing message of salvation that we've been given. So first of all, it starts off um, saying that in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Well, that's us. God wants to bring us to glory. And that says to start off with that we're not yet in glory because he needs to take us there. So we're somehow short of how God wants us to be. We're not where we need to be yet. But God wants to take us there. And what is glory? Well, glory is being in God's presence, being in heaven. He wants to take us to be with him. That's our destination. So that's both the problem, we're not there yet, and the final destination defined. Next, it says that God, for whom and through whom everything exists. So God is the creator of all things, and everything that has been created is for him. It was created for him. So it's a a kind of a circular thing. God created everything for himself. So we are created for God. That's our purpose. Next, it says that Jesus, because that's who it's talking about here, was made the author of our salvation and was made perfect through suffering. So Jesus is the author or the pioneer, as it's translated in other versions of the Bible. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. So again, we see from that that there is a salvation. We need to be saved. And also that Jesus is the pioneer of that. Now, what does pioneer mean? Someone who goes first someone who blazes the trail, someone who opens a way and then leads first through and we follow. So that's what Jesus has done. He has pioneered a salvation that we then follow into. And that was done through suffering. So there's a great one to learn. If you go home later on today and learn Hebrews chapter two, verse 10, it's got everything in it, it's the whole gospel, so it's a great one to have at your fingertips. So the next question, having seen that there is this salvation and that it took so much to achieve it, uh, the question is, well, what do we need to be saved from? We're in this situation where we're not yet in glory, but what is it that we need to be saved from to get there? Let's look again at at verse 15. And it says, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Notice that it says, uh, not by death, but by their fear of death. So somehow we are held in slavery by our fear of death. Now, This last couple of years, I think that's more acute 
than it has ever been. We've all been faced with the threat of death. Uh, we probably all know people who've either suffered with COVID or indeed have died from COVID. So we've, we've had that brought into much clearer focus recently, but it's always been the case that we have this threat of death hanging over us. We know it's, all, it's gonna happen to each one of us. And that fear of death is something that is held over us by the devil. Whether we realize it or not, that's what's happening. And so much of actually how we live our lives can be understood by the fact that we're in this situation of, of being held in slavery by our fear of death. So I've just turned 50 this year. Um, as you can imagine, I, that's led me to think of actually what have I done with my life so far, those 50 years, and, and what, what do I need to achieve next in order to somehow feel satisfied that I've lived my life well. I have, uh, maybe all of us think that way, but for, that, for me this year has been a year of thinking that more. But that only happens because I'm somehow thinking I've got to cram so much in before I die. Uh, and so much else, like escapism, selfishness, all come from this idea of I'm finite, and so I've got to get more or do more with the threat of death hanging over me. But I don't know if you know or have seen people who don't seem to live that way. People who seem to be able to live without that fear. I do know a few people. Um, so one of them that I've been privileged to know only a little, I, I know her through uh, a very good friend of mine, it was his wife, and she died this year from cancer. Her name was Liz Wardock. Um, I was privileged to, to attend virtually uh, her Thanksgiving service last week, and it was the most marvelous celebration of a life lived without the fear of death. There was a huge list of names of people that she had loved throughout her life in the Thanksgiving service. Just in every situation, there was a list of five or six people whom she'd utterly loved. Uh, but she didn't, there was no sense in the Thanksgiving service that this was an innate quality of hers, that she had this much love. It was made so clear that this love only came because she had first been loved by Jesus and because she had learned to love Jesus. And indeed, in the last months of her life, she spent an inordinate amount of time talking to her vicar about how the Thanksgiving service was going to go. She had it completely planned because she knew that this was her last and best opportunity uh, to, to give praise to Jesus and to explain to everybody she knew the reason for the hope that she had and that she wanted everybody to know that one last time how Jesus had loved her. So for me, that was a, just a, a clear statement of a life lived without the fear of death because she knew where she was going and she had her eyes firmly fixed on Jesus the whole time. So my next question, well, how can Jesus free us from that fear of death? Surely it's always hanging over us. 
Can Jesus truly free us from that? Well, the end of this chapter tells us how in verses 17 and 18. So it says, I'll just read it again for us. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So very particularly, because this is a book to the Jewish people, it makes a lot of reference to the Old Testament. There's uh, three separate references in this passage, which I just blipped straight over because I don't have time. Um, but they point clearly back to Psalm 8, Psalm 22, and Isaiah 8. And they, they show how Jesus was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. And so much of what was in the Old Testament was all about sacrifice and atonement. So the Jewish people were under the law. They knew that if they didn't keep that law, then those sins would be hanging over them and there was punishment for those sins and the punishment was death. So there had to be atonement for those sins and that was done by a very special person from within them uh, called the high priest, a representative from the people making a sacrifice of an animal to atone for those sins, and that was done regularly. And it had to be done regularly, because as soon as that atonement had happened, and then people started living the wrong way again, more atonement was needed. So it had to be done over and over again. So in order to make that atonement, there had to be a representative of the people, a high priest, and there had to be a sacrifice. So Jesus comes and is the ultimate fulfillment of all of that. He becomes that representative. He can only be that representative if he is one of the people. So he has to become like us in order to act as that high priest. But he's not like any other high priest ever before because he's perfect, he's also God. And what about the animal? Where's, where does that come from? Well, there is no animal anymore. Jesus is also the sacrifice. So Jesus is both our representative and our sacrifice, making the once and for all perfect atonement for our sins. That is how we get out of the slavery of this fear of death because death has no more power over us anymore. There, there isn't a need for a constant atonement. There's never a worry that our sins are not sorted out. So Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament. He is now in a position where he calls us his brothers and sisters. He calls us his children, and in doing so, he's inviting us clearly into his family inviting us to heaven, into God's glory. And not only that, but on the way, he has fully experienced everything it means to be human. He's fully experienced everything of our situation, which is why it's able to say at the end that Jesus is able to help those who are being tempted, those who are in trouble, those who are in distress in every way. 
So to close, what's our response to all of this? Well, the Bible doesn't say that all of this removes our trouble, our hardship, our distress. It doesn't say that it removes death. We will all die. But what it does say is it removes the fear of death. We don't have to live that way anymore. We can live differently. And if I was to point you to one verse that defines how we should live differently, it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which we'll come to in probably many months' time in our series. And it says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.